Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Danny, I was at Husky Stadium this morning, and I swear to God, I saw an entire football team out there practicing. Did did any of them talk about and worry about the future with Apple Plus? You know, I could just I could I was hundreds of feet away, but I could get the sense that there was a lot of concern about streaming. It did, just seemed that way to me. Did Kalen DeBoer said, I know I know that I'm supposed to be focused on the season ahead, but I can't stop thinking about what conference we're going to be in and what it's going to look like 12 months from now. Did he say that? He wanted to. I could tell he <laughs> wanted to. It's got to be it's got to be a trip as a reporter for you because going and covering that team today, there's nothing to indicate or to reflect the larger conversation that's happening in college football. I can't remember a time when there's such an abject disconnect between what the guys who play the sport and coach the sport are doing and what the people who follow the sport are talking about. Yeah, it's strange. And, and you know, I, I wrote it in, in my story um, with what kind of my observations from day one that it, it was so weird. I mean, it's literally sitting in the stands and it's like as a reporter through the quiet months, the uh, quiet weeks of May and June and July, you know, you, you kind of, you start to look forward to, to camp a little bit, that, it, that it's real and it's football and people are going to talk about it and they're interested to hear what you have to say about how, you know, what you're seeing and hearing and everything. And you can't even get through day one without a, another, another turn of the, the, the realignment drama coming through. Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports was the first to report it subsequently was confirmed by uh, basically everybody in the national media that the the Big Ten, a group of four Big Ten presidents, has begun exploratory conversations about you. You might say, Danny, that they're they're trying to get a sense of what the shape would be <laughs> if they were to add Washington, Oregon, Washington and Oregon um, as as a potential two to get to eighteen, but then also perhaps California and Stanford to get to twenty. So. Um, it, Every reporter who, who confirmed that also was very, you know, very clear to, to note that these are very, you know, preliminary discussions. They're nowhere near a decision. They don't even know if they want to do that yet. I think the consensus seems to be if they were to do that, it would only be because Arizona and probably Utah and ASU left the, 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 the Pac-12 because, Danny, the Big Ten doesn't want to kill the Pac-12. They would never want to do something like that. That, that part's... That part's ridiculous. Um, it's hilarious. They 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 killed the Pac-12. I mean, that's 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 why it's at this point. Um, I don't think the Pac-12 would be in good shape even if USC and UCLA were still part of the conference, but they'd have a media rights deal done by now, and they would they, they would be preparing to move on and feel that we're not. We're in better shape than the Big 12, and we're certainly not in worse shape than the ACC. Um, I think that the disintegration of the Pac-12 is sort of decided at this point, and I think it probably was very clear what was going to happen when Colorado looked at what the Pac-12 was going to offer and said, we like what the Big 12 has better. That probably indicated that Okay, for all of this talk about things getting better, the reason they haven't announced a deal is because they don't have a deal good enough to keep the teams together. And the the reports of the 
we know that they've actually presented the plan now, right? Like the university presidents now know what the what the Pac-12, the best offers they have on the table, correct? Yeah. Um, I don't know that we do necessarily. Like it's been pretty, I think, accurately reported that I assume accurately reported that it's a primary Apple deal that would be streaming heavy. I don't know that we know yet that there would be no linear component to it. Um, I have a really hard time believing that George Klyovkov would bring a 100% streaming deal to the presidents, but um, who knows? I, I, it does seem like, um, I know Pete Thamel from ESPN reported that the base figure is a good bit lower than the per school distributions in the big 12. They could approach that number based on subscription sales or tiers of subscription sales, we don't know a lot about it. Um, it does seem like it would it would lean enough on streaming to make it really hard to believe it would be approved at the presidential level to the to the extent needed to to keep all nine teams in the boat. And that's that's sort of where the uh, the the new Big Ten development spins off from. I think that now the deal's been presented. The vibe, even though none of us actually know the details, um, the vibe seems to be, yeah, it, a, a streaming heavy deal is not gonna not gonna cut it, and especially at the, you know, with the numbers reported the way they are. Normally, what happens is that the schools get together and announce they have a deal. In this case, the schools have gotten together and heard the deal, and not announced that they have a deal. I I, I think that kind of speaks for itself. I'll say this, I'm. I'm surprised that the number from a streaming only service, right? Like Apple and Amazon. I always thought if that was going to be an option, that that would be the path to get the most money for each school, but that you would take, you would have to take a hit on distribution. You would be saying that, like, okay, we're going to, they're going to offer us, if Apple said we're going to pay for the whole kit and caboodle of Pac 12. You'd get the most money that way, but you probably didn't want to do that because you don't want to silo your product off entirely from what we refer to as linear. That that, that would be the path to the most money, but you would never take it because you want, you want your prime time, like your marquee matchups, to still be available to the largest number of people possible, which is going to be a linear cable service. And instead, <laughs> it's like, no, the... Str- even even if it's just one of these, what we would identify as a tech company, a streaming service, that offer is not going to be more than the Big 12 got. And I think that the Pac-12, you can debate whether it's a victim of timing or just declining significance of the conference. I think it's timing. I think, they, I think they're, they're hosed because of when they're coming to the market. But it's clear that they, they have not gotten the valuation or whatever sort of word you want to use for what they thought they were going to get for the broadcast rights. It's just not there. It would seem to indicate that Apple doesn't even want them that badly. Right. Because surely hundred percent, hundred percent. Surely Apple has been apprised uh, of the urgency of the situation that look, if the number is not X, and I mean, 31.6, 31.7, my nine, 10, now nine presidents are not going to approve this. So, if yes. this is the best you can do, you, you, you're making this offer to the Pac-12 knowing that if it, if it doesn't get approved, and it's not going to, in theory here, 
the product won't exist anymore. Correct. So, I like I I've I've kind of seen this this whole media rights exercise as a test of how badly the major networks want the conference to continue existing, and I think we're getting our answer. Yeah. That part's true. I would say also, Christian, there's a story in the New York Times that was just published today about ESPN and the challenges that are facing that. The fact that <laughs> that the Pac-12 sort of was the last to market, in part because they had the the carpet yanked out from under them a year ago when, when USC and UCLA bolted. I don't think the Big 12 could negotiate the deal it got if it was negotiating right now. Like I, 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 but that's that's a matter that's a matter of presumption. But you're absolutely right. Nobody wants the conference to exist to the point that they're willing to make an offer that will allow the conference to continue to exist. <laughs> We're dying. We're dying. Well, good luck. I, I don't. I don't want you to die. I, yeah. I. I don't know. I don't know what we can do for you, man. It almost makes me wonder if if <laughs> if somehow they approve this deal, if Apple would be like, oh. God, they, t- they took it? They want to <laughs> take it? Jeez. I, I, I wasn't... I was sure I mean, they were going to say no. I don't really want to pay for this now. Well, if you, if you look... I mean, Apple has a deal with the MLS, right? Like, this is... that. Mm. I think that's the model for what you would see in a Pac-12 product. As a customer, I'd, I'd love it. Like, my biggest issue with the Pac-12 network is that it's not... You have to pick what subscription TV service you're going with based on whether or not it has the Pac-12 network. YouTube TV does not have the Pac-12 network, does not have an option to get the Pac-12 network. Sling does. Obviously, DirecTV does not. Um, This would solve that. Like, you would get to buy it a la carte. It would be great for me as a customer, but there... Andy Staples, I saw, had a thing yesterday. One of the issues with the Pac-12 network was they didn't have enough subscribers. And now you're looking at a package from Apple which they're like, it could work out if you get enough subscribers. You're like, well, that didn't work out so good for us the last time. Obviously, the situation is different now. It's a different sort of mechanism to, to get it to your consumers. You don't have TV networks and, and pay cable packages in the way, but still, this is, it's, it's a grim reality for, for, your, for your Pac-12 diehards out there. I will say, and I promise we will, we will move on to the football talk after this, trying to keep this to a to a minimum here but i'm a little i'm a little curious why the insistence i get the insistence on a linear presence it's been assumed and i guess we don't know this for sure but it's been assumed that the the presidents um want some sort of espn presence and i understand that but isn't it generally accepted the espn is going all streaming in the the very near future mm-hmm. so I mean, are you talking about being linear on ESPN for what two years, maybe two, two yeah. football seasons? I, nobody knows when that's going to happen. But you're right. You're right. Look, the whole, the entire business, the fact that Disney is talking about selling off a chunk of ESPN should tell you that that entire business is on fire right now. And you can debate whether it's because, hey, it's they're just not growing and Wall Street demands growth. They're actually still good businesses. But you've got regional sports networks that are not paying baseball teams for the rights that they have. Like, that's happening. You have regional sports network. Bally's went bankrupt. Like this is that entire business is on fire in flames right now. And unfortunately, 
the Pac-12 is getting its eyebrows and nasal hairs singed. Yeah, it's uh, it would it would be it would be a real bummer um, for a couple schools in particular. We we may we may just have a uh, a question from our closest friend of the podcast along yes. those lines. Ian uh, sent me a note last week, and I got super excited. Uh, Ian McFarland, ipmcfarland.com, because he said, I got a call today. And I was like, oh, man, we finally got him a call. Like, we finally, after months and months of talking about it, we finally got him a call. And then he told me it was somebody that had called him. Because apparently there's someone that works in the athletic department at the University of Oregon named Ian McFarland. <laughs> there is. I saw Tyson, uh, Tyson Alger wrote about him at... Uh... <laughs> At uh, the I-5 corridor. He's, so he, their, he's their social media guy. So he called, called to talk to him. And I immediately told Ian that what he needed to say was make some really blanket declarations of like, yeah, when I showed up here, these guys were like using paper cups with strings tied to each other. They had no idea what technology was. Like, I, they're still using outhouses. They don't even have indoor plumbing at the University of Oregon. But Ian was being the fine and upstanding man he is. Ended up having a nice conversation with the guy. Because if you've got an idea for a product, if you've got, well, a product that you want to bring to market, or you're looking to create a product, it's worth a conversation with Ian McFarland. And... I don't know why I keep telling you guys all of these different things because I don't really know anything about sales or how you grow sales, but Ian does. So if you'd like some insight, some guidance, or some risk-free solutions to some of your sales challenges, log on to ipmcfarland.com. And now here's the question, query, observation that Ian has for us this week. I don't have a question this week. I have a thousand Um none of which are answered by refreshing Twitter and seeing if Brett McMurphy's eye emoji actually means something. Um, but so I'll take it on a different path. There, there's, there's one overwhelming question around college football that has been on my mind this week. And it's, it's a little bit odd and credit to unfortunately a Kent Meridian and Washington state graduate Brian Floyd for leading this discussion um, in an intelligent manner, which he always does. But I'm finding myself really worried about Washington State. Danny, you talked about uh, Lord of the Flies in your post on Wednesday morning. And in this case, the school that was blowing the conch shell and keeping the Pac-12 after dark alive in the doldrums of the conference a few years ago is going to be the one that is killed in the end by the big, powerful athletic types. And that's really sad. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways we can take this conversation, but, but the one that keeps sticking out to me is why the big 12 isn't calling them. The big 12 has a deal that any power five team that they add will get an equal share. And, that is a conference that is built around the idea of drinking a fifth of SoCo and riding a horse the wrong way down an interstate <laughs> highway. Washington State's logo should be the conference logo of the Big 12. Um, 
I don't really know what the fundamental question is, except how are we going to save the Cougs? Because I'm finding myself oddly nostalgic for a rivalry that isn't yet dead. Have a good week, guys. Well, this being realignment, I would submit, first of all, we don't know that the Big 12 is not calling them. That's true. Do you see a scenario where they fit, though? Um... Ian mentioned this, the Soko, uh-huh. and I think there's a there's a cultural fit there a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, dude, it's a long. I I, I hope so. It's hard. I, let like me I say, was, I was having this discussion with some buddies earlier, and it's it's hard to get from Pullman to any of the Pac-12 locations. In football, travels nothing. It's they charter, they play six, five road games a year in a bowl. It's that's whatever. But for man, it would just get it would just crush their Olympic sports. Right. Yeah. It's this is the thing I feel worst about. And I this is why I didn't want to go to the Big Ten after I didn't want Washington in the Big Ten after USC and UCLA bolted. Like they when they first bolted, my initial reaction was okay, well, toothpaste out of the tube now like washington and oregon have to go like it's the only and then the more i thought i was like no like i don't want to leave the cougs i it's wrong i hate that this is happening and if i was the cougs and washington ends up going to the big 10 like there would be a part of me that like i don't ever want to play them again like i want to be like university of washington versus gonzaga in basketball sort of petty it stinks and there's it's just wrong man I hope they end up in the Big 12. I wish that they would... I I just... I don't see any way that the Big 10 is going to allow them. And I I feel terrible about it. I think it's lame. Yeah. I I feel that way about the Beavs, too. I love the Beavs. Yeah, it's... um, It does kind of... You know, it's it's not a a novel observation to say, like, this whole... Um, idea of coalescing around two super conferences or maybe three, but eventually two, maybe eventually one. It seems like it's intended to, uh, to, to weed out the schools that the networks don't want to pay for anymore. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, there's no way Washington and Washington state are going to end up in the same conference when this is all done. That's that's exactly the conclusion I've reached. And if that's the case, then Washington's best destination like for its future is the Big Ten, even if it's getting a half share or however the hell the math works out. It's just, it stinks. And this is the part, like the Cougs have a right to hate us even more forever because of this. It's lame. It's so lame. I do lame. think competitively... I think there's a good argument to be made that Washington State and Oregon State could find a nice home in the Mountain West, especially in the 12-team playoff era where being one of the highest-ranked conference champions, six highest-ranked conference champions, and there's not going to be five power conferences anymore, gets you a bit to the playoff. Like Your path to the playoff is way better in the Mountain West than as part of a 24-team Big Ten or an 18-team Big 12 or whatever. But the problem is you have built your athletic department to be a Power 5 athletic department. And their revenues and their expenses lag way behind their Power Conference peers, for sure. 
but you're you still were raking TV distributions at a way higher level than anybody in the Mountain West. You made facilities upgrades with the understanding that you were going to continue operating as a Power Five athletic department. You owe debt on those facilities payments at a level that a Mountain West athletic department would not commit itself to. There are Power Five bills due for Washington State that cannot be paid with Mountain West money. So unless they are able to secure some kind of like one-time bailout from the university or from the state legislature or, but even then, you know, you're, you're staffed at a power five level. You, you are, your your recruiting spending is again, bottom of the power five, but still at a power five level. Like you're going to have to cut back on things that you, you invested in to make yourself competitive in the pac 12 that a Mountain West school can't afford, you know? And it's not like, you know, compare a Mountain West school to an FCS school, and it's an enormous gap in resources, right, and facilities. And it looks completely different. Um, but it's also a big, big gap between the Mountain West and even the Pac-12. And so, I don't know, like, I I, I don't just don't see how the finances work. I don't see how the math works. I guess the, the solution is, you would just take what you can get and cut what you have to cut and keep where you can and just just live with the fact that your coaches are going to get poached and your players are going to get poached through NIL to an even greater degree than it's already happening. And it's already happening at a greater degree than it happens for any other Power 5 school. This is the reality of why I hate what is happening in college football and it's college sports, but college football is what it's what is driving this. Um, not that basketball doesn't matter. Basketball does matter, both men's and women's. But the marquee event there is a tournament, and the national tournaments aren't impacted by conference alignments nearly as much as football is. Football's driving this, and you're watching a line be cut in which which programs are defined as big boy programs. That that pool's being thinned. And I'd be really resentful as a Cougar fan to to be on the other end of this pro- process. I know how I feel as a Husky fan. And there's there's a little bit of like, well, okay, cows are out of the barn. Save yourself. It, it's, it's, it's a terrible overall process that's happened in which we've just been trained to, under, to think that these schools are just going to, Hey, yeah, do what's do what's in your own naked self interest instead of what's in everybody's best interest. Stinks. Yeah, and and none of this even addresses like the basic football question of how competitive will Washington be in the Big Ten? Yeah, especially those first several years when they and we can only assume are getting a smaller share of TV money than all of their conference peers. Yeah, I don't know how that'll shake out, and but I also feel like Washington has a lot going for it, and compared to what is happening to some of the other programs, I think it's better situated to to be able to deal with that. The size of the market, the fact that it appears that Washington has a dominant coach or a guy that I really like. I, but you're right. Um, there are scenarios that it plays out. If you become one of the, the downside that nobody's talking here is there's going to become a lot of teams that 
are going to be middling and being four and four and playing at Illinois isn't going to be all that sexy of a matchup if you become middling. Yeah. It's I it becomes a little more palatable if they do go to the six team Western division. Could could we call it the West Wing, by the way? Would that be allowed? <laughs> if you go if you have a six team Western division and those six teams are guaranteed to play the other five every year. Mm-hmm. And then you're rounding out your schedule with four what we would call traditional Big Ten opponents. So, you know, you're not going to catch Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin every year. Because the, con- the conference is going to be so huge that you're going to miss half the league every season. Well, I don't know if I can do without a matchup against Maryland. <laughs> you could, listen, you could, you could catch USC, UCLA, Oregon, Stanford, and Cal. And then, uh, you know, maybe you look out, get Rutgers, Maryland, Purdue, and Indiana. Yeah. Um, there's no, I mean, it's, th- it's the best of a terrible situation of what. Yeah, there, there's no it. good, there's no good option. There's no, there's no positive outcome for Washington they, in this. What if they had three divisions? <laughs> 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 Can you do that? They could have just absorbed the Pac-12. Didn't they have the goofy? Didn't they have the goofy names for their divisions a couple years ago too? It was like the legends and the, the legends and leaders. <laughs> leaders that, that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't last long. They're like, could you imagine the thought process, the brainstorming that led to? We need another L word. <laughs> we need, we're going to do legends. How about Letterman? No, nobody uses that anymore. It's a ninety-first. What about leaders? Oh, sounds good. Leaders, leaders, and legends. <laughs> Some corny stuff. They should have made the schools bid on, um, like, make one of them more valuable. <laughs> the Legends is a little bit better. Who wants to be in the Legends conference? <laughs> but you can't have all the Legends in one conference. What kind of, you know, what, or division? What kind of division would that be? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was some practice today. I there saw was. that you wrote about Jalen Polk. Yeah, you know what? I It's funny because it's not like I don't believe Kalen DeBoer when he talks about these mile per hour GPS tracking and this guy's running faster and this guy's faster and this guy was at this speed. But it is, it is interesting, like more, probably more than any practice I've been to any day one practice I've been to, there were some guys running with the ball in their hands that kind of made you go, Whoa, he, he looks really fast. That was like, not sure. I've seen that kind of burst from him before. Jalen Polk was one of them. And DeBoer talked again. He spoke some at media day about this, but talked again after practice, uh, on Wednesday about um, how he, you know, Polk is running as good as he's ever seen him. He had a great off season. He's faster. He was tracked like, like, like 22.9 um, and Jalen McMillan was at 23 flat to give you some context. So I think Kalen DeBoer is, he's, he's, um he he's, he's on his Jalen Polk campaign manager job, mm-hmm. making sure he doesn't get left behind. Like he, he kind of goes out of his way to bring him up like, eh, Roman Jalen get a lot of attention for obvious reasons. It's all earned. It's all, you know, it's all fair. But, like, you know, don't don't forget about Jalen Polk. Jalen Polk's a really good receiver. There are many, many teams throughout UW history where he would have been their, their number one guy. So they're high on Jalen Polk. The other two, I thought, looked noticed. I mean, I don't know about faster. Like, can't really compare those things as you're seeing them live. But um, Devin Culp caught a ball. And it was just like finishing the drill type of thing, like running full speed to the goal line. And I kind of thought, man, like for, I don't know how many tight ends there are 
in the conference who who move like he does. He he looked like he maybe added another gear. And Cam Davis was a guy who I think he was banged up a little bit last year. He probably never saw him at 100% even during the season, but um he he looked to have kind of added a step. He looks he looks really quick. Um he had a caught a little swing pass out of the backfield up the left sideline um where he got to really open it up and run full speed and just look looked like they got some some guys who you think you know, you know what they're good at and what they're their ceiling is who look like maybe they've added a step dylan johnson is the transfer from mississippi state is that correct Mm -hmm. how does he what kind of back does he look like he's going to be you know it's funny because kalen DeBoer was asked at media day about whether his pass catching ability you know really added or whether he was like attractive to them for his pass catching ability um and DeBoer kind of said well you know we think he can do everything you know, hopefully he'll do everything. So, like, he—he's one where like DeBoer kind of can't help, kind of, kind of can't hide his excitement about what uh-huh. he could be. Um, very uh, looks the part physically. I mean, you could even when he wasn't practicing in spring, you could see that. Like, he just looks different. He looks like you think about an SEC running back who has been in, you know, an SEC strength program and had some success against SEC defenses. Like he's got that, that type of body. He's not, you know, a home run hitter speed wise necessarily, but I don't know. We haven't really seen him. Maybe he, you know, maybe he's got a gear that we didn't see on tape at Mississippi state or something like that. But I think he's, um, I think he's a powerful runner. I think he, he looks like he's got pretty good vision. Just like some of the highlights I've seen from Mississippi state, obviously caught a ton of passes can help them that way. Um, eager to see more of him. You know, he had just had a few carries on Wednesday at their opener. And um, I think DeBoer maybe even mentioned bringing him along a little slower because he was coming off an injury, at least during the early part of summer after spring practices. But, he, you know, he was in there. He was he was taking reps, so he must be feeling okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of, like, a comparison. Maybe Maybe like a more explosive Richard Newton. Mm-hmm. You well, know, now you're talking. You, now you're talking my language. Yeah, so nobody a, gets a, me quite as excited as Richard Newton. He's a bigger back. Like even you see him out there standing with the rest of UW's running backs. I mean, Cam Davis is built well, so is Richard Newton. But he kind of stands out. Like whoa, like that guy looks like a dude. And then I'm gonna screw up the pronunciation. Tunufi. Tunufi. Yeah, Voy Tunufi has moved out to edge. Yes. Was the and that that was something that you expected to see happen? I did after, especially after Savelle Smalls transferred. You know, he already he was six one two forty nine in the spring, and he put on some weight. I think they list him at two sixty now, but he was always kind of a, a tweener, um, under not even a tweener, undersized. He was a, an yeah. undersized D lineman who played on the interior, and they'd move him around. They'd play him outside a little bit too. Um, pass rushing situations and he's just kind of he's always he hasn't like played a lot a lot but just kind of has a knack for getting to the quarterback he's slippery he's got good speed he's tenacious so I think it made a lot of sense for them to look at him like full-time as a pass rusher especially like you know you've got Trison's ETF those are the starters and we also know that there's basically no established depth behind them so you know I think he'll he'll be a guy for them and DeBoer mentioned potentially moving him inside. Um, you know, if, if they need to, he can flex back and forth. Uh, 
I know Eric Schmidt, the edges coach, talked in the spring about how they would they would move him around based on game plan, you know, based on opponent, where he fit best week to week, based on like the O line they were lining up against, whatever or whatever. But yeah, um kinda expected him to move over to that room full time and give them uh give them some experience, not experience of that position, but experience rushing the passer and getting after the quarterback at the college level that they they don't really have um, with anybody else who's who's been at that position. It's going to leave, and we've talked about this before, there's an awful lot depending on Tuli Latuli Hasanoa and Ulumu Ale. Correct my pronunciations if I screw them up. Those are right. You, you got them. There's a lot depending on those two guys because they're going to, I mean, you're going to have rotations or anything, but their front line, like they've had a lot of depth. I've felt at tackle over the past few years. And, and this is a year where there's, to me, there's a pretty clear division between the two, the two guys that are at the front line there and, and the people they'll have rotating behind them. Yeah, it, it could be that way. Um, it's interesting because Fatui Tuatele started every game last year. And it it kind of felt at the start of camp last season like they were they really wanted to bring Alumuale along and kind of thought like he had some really desirable athletic traits. Obviously, is just his size. I mean, a six six, you know, three thirty plus guy in the middle. There's not a lot of those out walking around. So, you know, and DeBoer talked about that today. Like as camp went along, it was kind of like okay, you know, this might take it's going to take him a minute he also had like that really scary leg injury at practice last year that looked for all the world like it was going to be a season-ending injury and they all they brought the cart out and everything it turned out that it was it was not nearly that severe and he was able to play the season but he was dinged up too and you know still learning the position and learning the defense and learning the skills that you need to to play on that side of the ball and I think toward the end of last year kind of started to get it. That's what his offensive teammates said. You know, offensive linemen um, like Jackson Kirkland and Henry Bainavalo and Corey Luciano, those guys I remember at Pro Day were kind of talking about uh, how much progress he'd made and how, how difficult he was for them to block by the end of the year in practice. So, um, you know, if, he, if he's got it and if he's healthy, yeah, like he gives them something they don't have otherwise. You know, it can be he – you've heard stories about him since he got there – you know, about the way he can move and the things he can do athletically for a person that size, like it's kind of blown people away. So he's a six year senior and looks like he's healthy and he's slimmed down and, you know, it's, it's the best shape of his life season. But I, I do think he, uh, he checks that box. It'll be interesting though. I was going to say to see if, if Tuatele can push him and, you know, even if, if he can't crack the starting lineup and Ale has kind of passed him, you, you know, you need you need a lot more than two guys in yeah. that position. So, and, and that was part of why you know DeBoer said they were comfortable moving Tanufi out to the edge, is because they've started to feel a little better about their D tackle depth. Is Ole still wearing number sixty eight? He is. He's rolling with it. <laughs> it's such a funny number. It's, it's, it's hilarious to see a dude in the middle of the defense wearing sixty eight. It's uh, it's a left guard number, right? It's not as weird as the big enormous guy from Oregon that used to wear eleven. Well, they've got uh, Brandon Dorless wear. 
Does he wear a teens number two? He might be a zero guy. <laughs> no, their site's not working. I'll, I'll find it later. I told um, you, man. Like they, they just barely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just barely discovered indoor plumbing. Get Ian McFarland. Get the other Ian McFarland on the phone. <laughs> um, I, I did a story last year on uh, why the the Huskies wear their uniform numbers, and I can't remember. Here it is. Let's see if I asked. Yeah, all I had the response that. Uh, a lot of guys have, especially in college. He said, that's just what I got when I got here. And he stuck <laughs> with it. He was That man was assigned number 68 as a true freshman back in 2018, red-shirting. Jake Browning was still the quarterback. There you go. There you go. He's like, I'm going to make something. I'm going to make, make this number my own. The number doesn't make the man. The man makes the number. Yeah, there you go. What would you? What, what number do you think he should switch to? Do I think he should switch to no? I'm I'm fine with with sixty eight. I'm just a, I'm accustomed to the D lineman wearing in the nineties, right? Like that, yeah. It just feels more comfortable with that. Um, I I'll also an edge rusher in single digits. I enjoy. Like I think that looks good. Um, you get two of those in in the lineup this year. Yeah, I I I can I can I can roll with that. Like your edge rusher, like. If, Number in the fifties kind of kind of harkens Lawrence Taylor kind of that style, but a, a single digit number is truly menacing. Um, yeah, I don't I don't mind. I certainly don't mind uh, a big a big defensive lineman wearing number sixty eight. It just jumps out to me. It's like it's unusual. It's unorthodox. Brandon Dorless uh, wears number three for Oregon. Yeah, see, like that's a it's. Big dudes with single digits, like big, big dudes with single digits, that can look a little odd. But again, like it's just, it's it, it, it sets you apart, right? Like if you're looking to grab some attention, like being an enormous guy in a single digit, like, yeah, that can work for you. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I think my favorite Husky number ever, though, was Lawyer Malloy. And maybe it's because it went with all of Lawyer's look. Like Lawyer had the big linebacker neck roll and he wore number nine. And I, I thought that, that just he just looked bruising. Um and maybe that's partly because I just loved the way Lawyer played so much. Well, seven has become like the cool number at, at UW. That's like uh you, you don't see any like non contributors wearing seven. Like Dominique Hampton switched to seven for this year. Taylor Rapp switched to seven for his last year. Shaq Thompson wore number seven. Keyshawn Bieria wore number seven. Mm-hmm. Um, Dylan Johnson wears number seven offensively. So, see now that's a running back uh, seven. Like I would say that strikes me as odd. Like running back at number one, I could see, or then in the thirties, like I, that feels a little unusual to go you seven know what? as a running. I don't back. think they have any running backs in the thirties. Oh really? Yeah, because yeah, what Davis is twenty four, seven, and Davis is twenty two. Newton six, Tybo's twenty. What? Sam Adams is 28. Will Nixon is 8. Daniel Nagat is 21. None in the 30s. Even the th- the third I feel like the 30s I think of like early 90s NFL running backs. When mm-hmm. I think of running backs in the 30s. Like didn't Jerome Bettis wear 36? 36, yeah. And you know he's Smith, from Detroit. I, believe- <laughs> I was I was aware. I, I was made aware. Uh 
<laughs> that he was from Detroit. That one got drilled into my noggin in 2005. That was a that was a running joke among like me and my friends in high school in 2005. It oh, was such because... a it was such a like that that two weeks before the Super Bowl was such a so like oversaturated with Jerome Bettis's homecoming that we literally anytime he comes up now we that's like an inside joke like oh yeah you know he's from Detroit. The only time I've ever ever once felt like oh that's too bad for Jeremy Stevens was when he stumbled headlong into that. He gave the most innocuous quote, and I believe Condota was there and heard it. And Stevens said something like, yeah, it's a nice story and all. It'll be disappointing when he doesn't end up winning the Super Bowl. Like, it was the most innocuous throwaway quote. quote. And Joey Porter, guarantee. Yeah, Joey Porter read it and then just went off on him, which to this day I'm convinced is because Porter was like, We'll see how this guy deals with being challenged that way and singled out. And the answer was he did not deal particularly well with <laughs> that over over the course of the game. Um, but man, <laughs> like you want to talk about like the extreme disconnect because the next day after Porter went off, like Jeremy Stevens is seated at a table like where they'll put your name plates out. Just this big massive crowd of people around there. Steve Hutchinson walks in and just goes, "Holy crap!" <laughs> like when you saw how many people were there waiting to talk to the tight end. Yeah. yeah not not a not a fond memory of of Jeremy Stevens. No. Unlike it, unlike all the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and like I said, like that's the only one where I'm like, oh, he didn't really uh-huh. deserve the amount of blowback he got for that one comment. The rest of his career and actions off the field, yes. He's deserved all the criticism he's gotten and probably deserves more than he received. Yeah, the, it was we'll, we'll call it an evening of the uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. the balancing of the scales for Jeremy Stevens and um, no Jeremy Stevens is on this on this roster, but they do have some they have some talented tight ends. Uh, I don't know. It's it's it. The first team offense and defense took the field for their first eleven on eleven period, and it was like, yep, that's all. That that's who I expected to see. All all twenty two guys. That that all makes sense. Like this is a very veteran team, and they are. The other noteworthy thing about that is how healthy they are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and kid, you know, DeBoer said that at media day, like this is probably the, you know, it's definitely the healthiest he's ever seen this team since he's been at Washington. The injury list is as short as it's ever been. Like Alfonso Tupatala had a yellow Jersey on and wasn't doing everything, but still like was out there for the very first, um, series and clearly is not like seriously injured. There's a couple other guys who you can tell are they're like kind of bringing along slowly or taking their time, but you know there's nobody, no like depth chart guys or potential contributor contributors or anything who got hurt in the spring and had to have surgery and are out or are still coming back from surgery from the fall or anything like that. Like it's, it, you know, they'll there will be injuries because it's football, but they're they're starting off about as healthy as as you could hope for. Well. If they could just get it sorted out, which conference they're going to be in after this season, then 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 we'd have nothing else to worry about, right? Yeah, it's uh, we can talk about how they're how they're going to replace all these guys they're losing. It's that's the the Nick Saban mentality, right? 
Yeah. Like he could, start he whining couldn't enjoy about the that. national championship because he it was cutting into recruiting time. You it can't is. enjoy the twenty twenty three season because you're worried about twenty twenty four. Yeah. I will say that I hope that the attention shifts and look at it's such an exciting season. Everything that they have coming back, like to think that I mean, it's less than two years ago that that ball sails over the punter's head and that awful loss to Oregon. It's the last game that Jimmy Lake coaches. To think that the program is at the point where it is starting this season where you can look at it and say, like, man, they're going to be one of the best. They should be one of the best offenses in the country. They absolutely have a chance to contend for the conference title. They could. It's it's possible that they end up in a, in a situation playing well enough to get into the playoff. To think that it's turned around that quickly is really, really striking. And I, I do feel bad that so much of the conversation right now, nationally at least, is focused on on the future of the conference. I think the silver lining is like when we're out there, when the media is out there covering a practice, there is no insight to be gained from anybody on that field, coach or player on the media rights realignment stuff. Cause they don't know. So you, you, you just know, like the, these aren't the people that I talk to about this. So you have no choice, but to talk about football and lock in and think about the football and, look at everything from a football perspective and what's the season going to be like and where are the position battles and who looks good and where are the weak spots and what are the strengths and so on and so forth. So it's, it's refreshing being out there. Like there was kind of a momentary, like, geez, you know, I can't, I can't stay off my phone long enough to, you know, here's another realignment story and they're, they haven't even finished practice yet. Like, of course, but um, when it gets down to it, like those guys aren't thinking about that stuff, you know? So the solution is to read more on Montlake.com. I think that is the solution. Yeah, I can't promise that you won't see some media rights discussion, but I can promise that you will see some football discussion. So that's what I'm going to do, is I'm going to focus more on the football by reading my onmontlake.com. That's right. It's a great time to subscribe to onmontlake.com, and it's always a great time to rate and review Say Who Say Pod on your platform of choice. We're, we're, we're coming up on that 200 review mark. Where, you know, everyone says it changes your life once you get 200 five-star reviews. <laughs> Stars matter. It's also a great day to subscribe to the dang apostrophe. Yeah, I'll keep hanging around there. I'll keep hanging yeah. around and hanging around. Danny's uh, got a Lord of the Flies analogy <laughs> with regard to the, the TV network. It's totally what it is. Situation. There's no adults in the room, man. Like, they've just been... Because there's no centralized commissioner, like this doesn't. The impact of TV money has not changed the structure of other sports the way it's changed college football, and some of that just reflects the the lack of a centralized authority in college football or in college college athletics. But it's it is I think ultimately going to be the detriment to the detriment of college athletics overall, that everybody, that all of this is being restructured because it's what the TV networks want. Yeah, there, there are adults in a room, but it's a different room and they work for Fox. Yeah, so. like, I mean, you take the cash and you're doing what they want, but it's, this is, this is going to benefit. I think it's, it, it's just, it's ultimately not going to be the benefit of the entire sport. It's going to be the benefit to a select few programs. The Huskies practice a bunch more times 
before we'll sit down and record again. So we'll have plenty of uh, football practice, at least, to dissect next time we get together for Say Who Say Pod. Take care until then. We'll talk to you next week.